I'm your host, Lauren Robinson, and welcome to Financial Management God's Way with Tom Copeland. I have heard it said that more than half of marriages end in divorce, and financial issues often play a primary role in creating family stress and ending the marriage. When it comes to money, it can be a challenge to get it right. But these financial issues impact so many areas of life. That's why it is imperative that we become more aware of the timeless financial principles in the Bible. Tom Copeland is first and foremost a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ, called to teach God's Word on finances since 1982. Tom is the president and founder of Copeland Financial Ministries. He has helped thousands of people learn to manage money God's way. For more information, check out BibleFinance.org. Again, that's BibleFinance.org. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland is aired on 70 radio stations and five television stations across Canada. He is the author of the book Financial Management God's Way, as well as several workshop series, including Debt Reduction God's Way and Discerning God's Will in Managing Money. For the first 17 minutes today, you will hear a pre-recorded presentation that Tom gave at a church where he provided an overview of what the Bible says on finances. Today is part two of a two-part series. Let's listen to this presentation. I want to talk for a few minutes about budgeting. Budgeting doesn't sound like an exciting topic. Call it, call it developing a cash flow plan or a spending plan if you don't like the word budget. They're the same thing. But having some sort of a tool to track your expenses and project your, your, where your, your expenses next year are going to go and how are you going to make it so that you have a surplus each month to pay down debt and save for future needs, it's really key. If you don't do that and you just operate on guesswork or, or, or your own personal desires, the odds are, in most cases, people will spend more than they make and accumulate debt. It's interesting, if you go to the parable of the tower in Luke 14, Christ admonished us to, t- to plan ahead, and planning, your head, uh, planning ahead can best be accomplished with a, with a, a budget or a, or a spending plan. And uh, very simply, the objective is to make sure that you spend less than you earn each month to have a surplus to pay down debt and pay for future needs. And as I mentioned, a a budgeting system will provide you with the financial facts that you need to make wise decisions. Guesswork decisions and personal desires are dangerous. And investing the time, it really pays off. It really does pay off. This is sort of where the rubber meets the road. Are you managing your monthly cash flow according to what God wants you to do? Are you living within the income that God's given to you? Are you saving for next year's vacation? Are you saving for the annual insurance costs? Are you saving for retirement? Are you saving for your kids' education? If you don't get a handle on your monthly cash flow through a budget or a spending plan, then you're not going to meet those medium and long-term goals. Um, the Copeland budgeting system, the price is right, it's free. You can download it from our website, and there's a 30-minute video there for you to, uh, to learn how to use it. So, um, and if you're not sure what to do, I always say start tracking your expenses. Um, if you track your expenses, you'll become more conscious of where your money's going. And when you do that, what'll happen is you'll spend less. Almost always you'll spend less. And especially if your spouse is going to see where the money's going, you'll spend even, even less. And it also gives you your financial facts. The next topic I'd like to talk about is godly counsel and wisdom. God admonishes us to obtain godly counsel. First from him personally, 1 Kings 22.7, God said, uh, Joseph had said to the king of Israel, first seek the counsel of the Lord. That's the one we should go to first. The second place you should go is to God's word. Psalms 119, 
uh, 24 says, Your statutes are my delight, they are my counselors. Uh, God's Word has tremendous wisdom in, in the area of finances, uh, but most Christians have limited knowledge. And what we find is when people get into debt especially, or get into trouble of some kind, 98% of the time they have violated some biblical financial principles. Yes, I know there can be some things that happen that are outside your control, and my heart goes out to those people. Um, but most of the time people have have uh, violated some biblical financial principles. And the other thing is get some godly counsel from a godly financial advisor. Do understand this, that all because someone's a Christian and they're a financial advisor, they may not give you biblically-based financial advice. Um, unfortunately, most Christians, most Christian financial advisors, have limited knowledge of what the Bible says on finances. And so most Christian financial advisors are actually giving worldly advice based upon their secular training. That's why there's no substitute for you learning what God's Word says on finances. Uh, there's just no substitute. Remember, you're the one that's accountable to God as to how you manage the money God's entrusted to you. The advisor isn't. They're just simply an advisor to try to help you, help you along. What does God say about giving? Let's talk about that for a little bit. I think the key scripture is Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. The key is to make giving to God's work a priority. Um, why do I say that? I say that because often here's what happens with most people. They go out and they buy a nice house. They get a big house. They got a big mortgage. They get some new cars. They got two car loans. They got the credit, the line of credit. They run up the credit cards for a bit, and they use the line of credit, the debt restructuring to to pay off the the credit cards. It's people's debt today is huge. Actually, in Canada, I don't know if you know this. Canadians' personal debt right now as a percentage of disposable income is the highest in the world amongst individuals except for the people in Greece. We're even higher than the Americans. We're higher than the British by a considerable amount. As individuals, we have way more debt as a percentage of our disposable income. And um, it's, it's, that's going to spell trouble at some point when we go into a recession or if we go into uh, if interest rates go up. We, uh, we have radio, we have financial moments on radio stations across Canada. I can tell you, I get all kinds of emails of people hurting in the province of Alberta because the price of oil is down. They're losing their jobs. The price of real estate's dropping. They're hurting big time. And of course, the people with the most debt hurt the most. And sometimes they, they even lose their house. So, Give God the first fruits. And my point of making all that is often what Christians do is they buy the material things they want. And this is my point on this one. As the debt goes up, the giving goes down. I've sat down with hundreds of individuals where they used to give 10% to the Lord's work. That's the guideline. It's not a legalism, but they used to do it. Today they're giving 1% or 2% because they've taken on all these debts. And what happens when it comes to the end of the month, they've got so much money in the bank, and they got a big mortgage payment, which maybe should be a lot less, or they got two car loans, maybe they shouldn't have those, um, and they also want to give to their, their church and, and parachurch organizations, what do they do first? They pay their debts first, and they give God the leftovers, whatever's left over. And often the mindset is, we'll catch up on that later, but normally people that are buying things they cannot afford and accumulating debt, it normally does not get caught up on. Um, so make sure that you give God the first fruits. Give sacrificially. And uh, give cheerfully. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I'm going to talk about giving here for a minute. Um, because some people say to me, like some people are very legalistic on the tithe. I'm actually not legalistic on the tithe. If, if you're legalistic on the tithe, 
uh, and you believe Mosaic law applies, you should give three tithes. There's the Levite tithe uh, in Leviticus, there's the festive tithe, and there's a poor tithe every three years. Uh, so it's 23 and a third percent is what the Jews gave at that time. It was actually, a, the government was theocratic, so it was all, not just a tithe, it was actually a for, almost a form of taxation. I believe as, and under New Testament we're under, we're under grace. I think giving 10% is still the guideline. You shouldn't ignore that. And I believe people in this country with average or above average income should be giving at least 10%. But to a single mom with two or three kids and 20,000 years of in, 20,000 a year of income, I would never try to convict her that if she doesn't give 10% that she's robbing God. Her giving three or 4% out of her $20,000 of income is sacrificial giving and I believe God will reward that tremendously in heaven. But I do say this to high income earners or above average income earners, don't be constrained by the 10%. Don't let the 10% constrain you. When we get to heaven, if you've, been, if you've been entrusted with a large amount of income and you're just giving 10%, that's good. That's giving out of obedience, but it's not really giving generously and it's not giving sacrificially. There'll be some rewards, but I think there'll be more rewards for the widow or the, the single mom who's giving sacrificially as opposed to the high income earner that's just giving um, a, a portion of, of what they have. It's, it's, not, it's not the same. And I think God looks at the facts of each circumstance. Here's the key. Make the paradigm shift from focusing on things of eternal value to things of temporal value. Jesus said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The key is to make, I think overall on finances, make the paradigm shift. Focus on things of eternal value as opposed to things that are temporal. Understand this, if you're planning to buy some material thing, if you really don't need it, pray and ask God what he wants you to do. It may be that God will say, don't buy that material thing, give that money to his work, and think about it this way. If one person comes to know Christ because you gave money to God's work, a thousand years from now that'll mean something. The material thing that you bought will probably wear out in five or ten years. It's very temporary in nature. So try to have a focus on things of eternal value as opposed to temporal things. I'm going to talk about godly versus worldly motives for just a little bit. The Bible has a clear distinction on these. Proverbs 16.2 says, A man's ways seem innocent to him, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So sometimes it's not just what we do, it's actually our motives as well. That's, that's important. God is very concerned about our motives. Look what Paul said. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and into destruction. For the love of money. I'm going to stop there for a minute. Many Christians quote this, or many people believe that you Christians think money's the root of all evil. That's not what it says. It says the love of money. It's that ungodly attitude towards money. It's greed, it's selfishness, covetousness. It's those kinds of things that is a root of all kinds of evil. That's what Paul is getting at. Nothing wrong with money in and of itself. It's actually neutral. Money can be used to expand God's kingdom for good things. Money can be used for things that are contrary to God's word. So question, do some Christians have an issue with the love of money? Do some Christians have an issue with the love of money? What do you think? Paul answers in the next verse. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Even Christians can struggle with the love of money. And uh, here's some indicators of the love of money. Excessive hard work. And what I'm thinking of there is when somebody's working excessively hard to get more and more material things to the point that they have very limited time with God each day. They're not focused on their relationship with the Lord. Uh, they have little or no involvement in ministry. Um, and they're often very giving very little to God's work. These kinds of things, these four kinds of things, these five things, can, can be an indication that someone is struggling with the love of money. 
And also a selfish lifestyle um, with no desire to seek God's will is another one. If you remember the parable of the rich fool, this is a farmer who had an incredible crop come in one year. And rather than, and maybe you've had some bonuses or maybe you've had a chunk of income or an increase in, in pay that you didn't anticipate or maybe you did, but you've been blessed by God. This, this farmer, rather than looking up to the Lord and saying, Father, what do you want me to do with this surplus? He says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down all my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and I'll store all these grains up for me for many years, and I'll take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. Very selfish attitude. He clearly had an issue with the love of money and material things, and actually he was trusting in his material things. And one last warning, regardless of how much money and material possessions someone has, the attitude of the love of money will never be satisfied. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. Some other worldly attitudes that give rise to financial problems would be covetousness. That's when you want what someone else has. And of course, Exodus says, do not covet your neighbor's ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Often people are buying things because they're coveting what someone else has. And often they're doing it with debt. A lack of contentment, greed, selfishness, and pride. Often people buy things just because they feel that they, they want to feel as good or better than other people. That's, that's, the, that's a worldly motive. It's not a godly motive. And these worldly attitudes or motives, if they're not dealt with, they can lead, lead to some very significant financial problems. So here's the corresponding godly attitudes or motives with respect to money and material things. Contentment's a big one. Paul said godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world. We shall take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Paul's saying being content with God meeting your needs. That's what he's saying. Giving generously is a, is a godly attitude. Uh, being unselfish is one. Thankfulness to God, of course, and humility. And I'd say this, godly thinking will lead to God's blessings both here on earth and in eternity. Matthew 16, 27 is, is a great verse uh, that says that the Lord will return in his Father's glory with his angels and he will reward each person according to what they have done. Part of those rewards unequivocally is going to be how you spend the money that God's entrusted to you and, of course, how you spend the time that God's entrusted to you. We, we need to be stewards and, and taking an eternal perspective on this. How to deal with worldly attitudes or motives towards money and material things? I give you two key verses. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to renew your mind. You need to change the way you think about money and material things. And how do you do that? Joshua 1.8 gives the answer. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. I find the key is getting for people, God's people, to get into God's word. Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It's powerful. It's truth. Often Christians are believing things that are from the world, their financial deceptions, as opposed to believing God's truth. And it's getting into God's word how God can change the way you think. I don't believe I've changed the way anybody thinks or anybody's life, but I know that God's word will not come back empty, but will accomplish what he desires and fulfill the purpose for which he sent it, Isaiah 55:11. God's word is powerful. And the last area I'd like to talk about is estate planning, biblically-based estate planning. And this applies to everybody. Now, I know if it's more applicable of greater interest, people 55 plus, but even those that are younger, you still, you don't know when your time's going to come. But this is important. Um, your estate plan, and in particular your will, is what I called your last act of stewardship. It's the final thing that determines where your assets are going after you leave this earth. 
God's Word has scriptures that apply to estate planning, but I find most Christians are totally unaware of what those scriptures are. Most Christians do not pray and ask God for His wisdom. They don't search God's Word. They don't seek biblical counsel. Rather, they just obtain the standard secular will. In other words, what happens? The husband might say to the wife, Honey, we haven't updated our will for 15, 20 years. Let's go to Joe Blow, lawyer down the street. He does them cheap. They go in and see him. We want a will. Just give us an updated will. And they do the standard secular will. He dies, everything goes to her. She dies, everything goes to him. They both die. It goes equally amongst their kids. There's, there's, there's nothing allocated for the Lord's work, mainly because they don't think about it. Um, and there's nothing, there's no consideration of how the kids manage money or what impact it'll have on them. It's interesting. I'm a member of Advisors with Purpose. And they did a survey uh, throughout Canada that, that revealed that 85% of Christians have not done any basic estate planning, as they'd call it, by including the Lord's work in their will. But what's interesting, they also found when they asked people, and people understood they should, um, that once they understood that they should and that they could, they actually would do it. They would go ahead and do it. And uh, I find also most Christians do not take into account the money management of skills of their kids. If you've got three kids and one squanders money, do you think it's good biblical stewardship to just give them their one-third and let them squander it after you die? That's not, that's not true. That's, that's, that's bad stewardship. Look at the parable of the talents. Um, there's ways to deal with that, such as a, uh, setting up a trust pursuant to the will or, or having... Um, an annuity paid to that child over, over their lifetime. And in some cases, if the Lord leads, you may even give them less than some of the other ones. That's what the parable of talents is all about. God entrusted different amounts to different people. Um, estate planning is a half-day workshop on itself. I just wanted to give you a, a little bit of a, a, a touch on this. So um, there's lots of other things to deal with in estate planning. So here's my summary on, on absolutely everything, um, not just estate planning, all the things we've talked about. We are stewards of what God's entrusted to us, and therefore, we should look to the owner, that is God, in discerning all of the important financial decisions um, that we make. First Corinthians 4.2 said, It is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Faithfulness to God is the key. Are you managing the money? Are you using the money that God's entrusted to you according to his biblical principles and according to his specific will for your life? Um, that's, that's the key here. Thank you, Tom. You have really covered a lot of ground, and we can see God's Word has so much to say on finances. Can you please give us some real-life examples where people have violated biblical financial principles and suffered the consequences? Yes, Lauren. Here's what I've seen to be extremely common today. In my experience, most people live paycheck to paycheck. That is, they spend all their regular income and they have no savings. So when an unexpected expenditure comes along, they are forced into debt. And often they don't save for the expected non-monthly expenses, such as vacation, annual insurance premiums, auto repairs. And so when those expenses are incurred, they accumulate debt on their credit cards. Living paycheck to paycheck is not God's will. God's admonition is that we should plan ahead and save for future needs. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. I would say this to anyone listening, if you're living paycheck to paycheck with no savings, then that's a red flag that indicates that you need to develop and implement a monthly cash flow plan or budget to ensure that you're spending less than you earn and develop some savings for unexpected expenditures. In the NIV version, Proverbs 21.20 says, In the house of the wise, there are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. 
And if you look at the parable of the tower, Luke 14, 28 to 30, Christ admonished us to plan ahead, and the most practical way to plan your finances is with a budget or a spending plan. To help you develop and implement a budget at no charge, the Excel-based Copeland Budgeting System is available at our website, BibleFinance.org. There's also a 30-minute video on how to use the budgeting system. Thanks, Tom. There's so much wisdom, biblical wisdom, that you are actually sharing that I think many people may not be aware of. Now, Tom, as you know, many people actually borrow money against the equity in their home. What do you think of that as a strategy from a biblical perspective? I've counseled thousands of couples who have purchased their home many years ago, which have increased significantly in value. That's nice, but unfortunately, many people have used the equity in their home to take on one or more personal lines of credit and live a lifestyle that is greater than what they can really afford. Typically, here's what happens. People spend more than they earn and accumulate debt on their credit cards. In order to presumably solve their financial problems, they restructure their debt by obtaining a personal line of credit against the equity in their home and paying off the credit cards. At this point, often people believe that they have solved their financial problems. However, this is not true. Debt restructuring can reduce their interest costs, but it doesn't deal with the underlying problem, which is the fact that they are spending more than they are earning and accumulating debt. From a spiritual perspective, they are actually living outside of God's will as they are spending more money than what God has provided. Unfortunately, many people do this debt restructuring numerous times and eventually suffer the consequences. For example, one spouse is out of work and they are unable to make their loan payments, or as they approach age 65, they cannot retire because of accumulated debts and insufficient savings. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but the simple keep going and suffer for it. To deal with these problems, people need to learn to be content to live within God's provision. In Philippians 4.11-13, Paul said, For I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. There may be some listeners today who will say, my financial situation is a real mess, and I'm completely stressed about it. Tom, what advice would you offer to someone who's in that situation? I'd say this, regardless of how difficult your financial problems are, God, with his incomparably great power, Ephesians 1.19, is able to solve any financial mess. Remember, God is with you, and God has promised to help you. Psalm 34.18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Over the past 34 years, I've counseled thousands of people who were in so much debt that it looked impossible. However, in most cases, once these individuals learn to manage money God's way, including learning to be content with God's provision and developing and implementing a budget, God also assisted by providing little miracles such as unexpected income, a great deal on a purchase, a gift from a fellow believer, and the Lord enabled them to pay down their debts. If you're in financial difficulty, I recommend the following. First, in faith, prayerfully ask God for his wisdom as to what you should do. James 1, 5, and 6 says, If any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt. Secondly, meditate on God's word regularly. With over 2,300 references in the Bible to money and material things, God's word contains incredible wisdom for us on finances. And thirdly, develop and follow a budget to ensure that you are spending less than you earn and use a surplus to pay down debt and save for future needs. A budget is a tool that will help you plan your finances, 
Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to advantage. That is some very practical financial advice. Tom, what about these people who feel really depressed about their financial problems? What words of encouragement could you offer them today? I say to this, if you feel oppressed by your creditors or a captive because of your debts, which many people do, Jesus has this wonderful promise for you. Christ said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, Luke 4:18. Jesus understands your emotional and financial pain and he wants to set you free from it. Here's God's promise in Psalms 91. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. So no matter how serious your financial problems are, God is greater. For example, in 2 Kings 4, God, working through Elijah, miraculously provided oil to the widow and her son so they could pay all of their debts. In other words, God will give you the wisdom, direction, and the necessary income that you need to get your finances in order. Tom, thank you for these key scriptures to encourage people who are in significant debt. For all of you who are listening today, Tom has numerous resources available on his website, biblefinance.org. You can actually join the Financial Moment email list. You can download a free copy of Copeland Budgeting System and watch the 30-minute video explaining how to develop and implement a budget. You can receive financial coaching on a ministry basis at no charge. You can also go through the online interactive video titled Financial Management God's Way. Again, the website where you can find these resources is biblefinance.org. Tom, do you have any concluding remarks today? Yes, Lord. Here's my conclusion. To everyone, whether you're married or single, money management does not have to be an area of stress and anxiety. If you learn and apply God's financial principles in managing the money that God has entrusted to you, As you develop a godly perspective on money and material things, you will experience God's peace in the area of finances. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Tom, thank you so much for your advice today and all of the biblically-based recommendations. To those who are listening, thank you for tuning into our discussion. If you have any questions in respect of today's broadcast, you can email info at biblefinance.org, and Tom or one of his trained financial coaches will advise you. Additionally, you can check out biblefinance.org for more information. Again, that's biblefinance.org. Thank you so much for listening. God bless you. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland. Before borrowing any money, consider the following questions. Have you prayed and given God a chance to provide the cash? In Psalms 37.7, we are told, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. In Deuteronomy 28, God promised His people that if they fully obeyed Him, they would not have to borrow. Is the item you plan to purchase a necessity? In Matthew 6, God promised that if we put Him first, God will meet our needs. Have you prayed sincerely for God's direction? And if so, do you and your spouse, if you are married, have God's peace that he wants you to borrow the money? Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. John fourteen twenty seven. And finally, 
Have you developed a budget beforehand to ensure that you can afford the loan payments? A free copy of the Copeland Budgeting System is available from BibleFinance.org.